All right. Well, thank you for listening on this episode of the Park Hills Podcast. We are going to dive in to Genesis 12 all the way through 50 and cover all of the problems and questions that you have. That's not true. If you uh, want to hear more about Park Hills, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills app. You can find it on any of the app stores. And we'd love to connect with you there. Let's do it. So as we dive into this section of scripture, Genesis 12 through 50, you know, we talked about the theme of family and there really the, the opening idea here is that people have rebelled. Humans have rebelled in Genesis three through 11 and God sort of separated the nations and scattered them to the edges of the earth. But out of those nations, he chooses one guy uh, to you know, be the host of a new nation and to be his family, basically, is the idea. The problem is uh, God doesn't necessarily choose the most likely of suspects to create a family. Is that right? Yeah, that's it's so true. I mean, <laughs> that's I think that's what screams out of these passages. Really? This person? Really that person? I mean, I mean, think about just all the issues that they faced and, and struggles. Yes. And never mind the fact that the guy's name is Abram, which means father of many. He is currently a 75-year-old man living with his parents with no children. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I think we always have to do our best to try to imagine what it was like to be that individual. And, you know, as much as you want to question some of the actions— you have to go back at some point, be compassionate on their doubts. Yeah. You and I can say we haven't had, you know, God give us these direct specific promises like he received. Right. Um, so if you receive those and certainly you'd have a ton of faith, but at some point you'd have to have some understanding that based upon a- Abram having a realization of his age, a realization of, of Sarah's age and going, right. really, we're going to have descendants, you know, and she's 65, yeah. he's 75. Uh, yeah. yeah, this, yeah, Lord, I don't think this is going to happen. So do you know how it works? <laughs> God, you know, like, and I'm not, I'm not making light of the situation, but there is this element of seriously, like that's, that's who you're going to call. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I, I, I highlighted the fact that, you know, after God reaffirms this with Abram, he in, in even changing the name, he, he still then accepts the idea of, you know, Sarah putting Hagar forth to, to bear the children. And right. you want to go, what did you, what did you, did you forget this? But you also, in our own lives, there are simple, simply decisions we make along the way that we go, I hope this is what the Lord wants, whether it's moving or something like that. Obviously, there's a moral issue here, but mm-hmm. but you could see how he'd go, 
I, I don't know how this is going to work. Um, right. But so some compassion on their doubts. I, I think I have a harder time with both uh, Abram and his son both saying, you know, this is my sister, you know, like mm-hmm. take, like take her, like what? You know, but obviously they had reason. There must have been cultural reason for their fears. But being promised you're going to, you know, have all these nations come out of you and all that stuff. Right. You'd have to think, certainly I'm not going to get killed off by some ruler because my wife is beautiful. Uh, God's certainly not going to let that interfere, you know, and, and but for them both to do that and for a son to do that too, he must, you know, must have heard dad tell stories about, yeah, I told everybody she's my, my sister. Like there must not have been any regret there or I wish I hadn't done that because <laughs> Son's like, oh, this is this must be that point in life where I say she's my sister, <laughs> right? Or is this, or is there a deathbed, you know, almost conversation of, you know, your wife is just as attractive as your mom was, so you might want to be careful. Yeah, here's what I did. People in the region. So, so let's back it up just a little bit. So, Abram, father of many, seventy-five year old guy. God chooses him out of, you know, the nations. His parents are idolaters. You know, they're worshiping people uh, and other idols and things like that. And then eventually God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And so we, we a lot of times think of that and we think of Israel and we think of Israel as being, you know, the only nation that comes from Abraham. But when you're following the storyline, you know, you just brought up the Ishmael-Isaac situa- situation. So Ishmael is born before Isaac is. Ishmael then goes on to be the father of, of 12 nations is what it tells us in, in Genesis 25. And those 12 are the people who are Arabic today. They claim descent from those. So they say that they are descendants of, the, you know, Abraham's 12 ch- grandchildren through Ishmael, basically. So there's one group of nations, a significant group of nations, and they are going to be uh, some of the people that have, you know, a th- they're a bit of a thorn in the, in the Jews' side, mm-hmm. you know, from the get-go. Then you've got Isaac, who's the father of the Jewish nation eventually, right? Isaac's son, Jacob, becomes, Ish- or becomes uh, Israel, and so Isaac, Israel, Jewish nation, all that set aside. But then we also find out that after Sarah dies, or Sarai, she... You know, she passed away. Abraham by or not buys, but marries another woman. Her name is Keturah, and Keturah has a number of other children. But the the significant name there is Midian. Mm-hmm. So, if you're following the the you know the storyline so far, and that's what we're trying to cover a little bit here, we've got Abraham. We've got all these kids coming from him. We've got Lot and his two daughters having two sons, who are Moab and Ammon or Ben Ami. <coughs> So Moab and Ammon, uh, they become the Moabites and the Ammonites. Uh, so we've got two people from his nephew. We've got 12 nations from his firstborn son. We've got a nation from Isaac. We've got a whole other nation from Midian. So when, he, when God changes his name from Abram, which is father of many, to Abraham, which is father of many nations, God did not disappoint. There are a ton of people yeah. groups that can mm-hmm. claim descendants from Abraham, the downside is none of them like Isaac's family. Like the one who's the promised child 
they don't like him. And that makes sense because you're, you know, you're talking about Joseph. And so we, we get into some of this other family drama dynamic stuff yep, going not on. Not always good to be the favorite child. No, it's not a good thing. <laughs> and so you look at this and you go, all right, it makes sense then that the Jews would be constantly underfoot by all these other people. And then as we talked about at the sermon got done, you know, the fact that the Midianites are so populated that they're already starting to sell people or sell things as a trade route from the Canaan you know, the land of Canaan or, or Canaan down to Egypt tells me that Midian has started to, you know, they're populating themselves throughout the, the region as well. So these are not just nations. These are growing, thriving nations that are able to put together really significant societal and cultural things really quickly, right? Because, I mean, if, if, the, if the children of, of Jacob sell their brother off to Midianite traders, yes, it's possible that the Midianites just had a few family members at this point. But if they're traitors, it's a good chance that there's actually a bit of a nation. The Midianites are starting to develop, and they have a group that is trading. So it's just starting – my point is I'm just trying to show you that the story is rapidly developing in Genesis. And I think a lot of times we don't even see that, which then comes back to what you were pointing out, this compassion of – you know, we're compassionate to their doubt. We read the story and we go, I'm always – of course I'm Abraham. Of course I'm whatever – but we don't read the story as those guys aren't really the best people at all. Yeah. And to think that, you know, not that far from, from Abraham, here you really have family against family. Like you mm-hmm. said, it started right away. I mean, you got this caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Well, Ishmaelites, oh, yeah, we know Ishmaelites. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, to have the Midianites then basically buy their – Cousin, I guess it would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're willing to buy their cousin from their cousins. Which I think we've all had cousins in the past. That yeah, maybe so. love to sell off. To okay, yeah. So we'll give them a little break. Sorry, there. that's inappropriate, I should say. <laughs> right. But you look at the story and you go, what a mess. And then I can't believe they would ever act like this. But really, we should read the story and put ourselves under it and go, no, I, I make those same kind of mistakes. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big mess up as well. Which then leads us to... I think one of the more significant elements of, of Genesis that you, you just brought this up in the sermon, like a comment, you didn't go into it at all. And I thought we need to unpack this one for the podcast just a little bit, but the, you mentioned Judah and Joseph, and you basically said it as, wouldn't you imagine that Joseph is the family line that leads yeah. to the Messiah, but that's not it at all. Well, I think, <coughs> I think sometimes when we interpret scripture, we, we go, we, we do all the, so here's what I would do kind of thing. And, or here's what I would have mm-hmm. done. And, and certainly when you look at the, at the line of, that's going to lead to David and ultimately to our, our savior, Jesus, you go, man, it's gotta come through Joseph based upon what we understand of, of his brothers, the other the other 11 tribes, it's got to be from the tribe of Joseph. And you read in this, in chapter 34, the, the account of, of, of Dinah, uh, their, their sister being defiled and, and, and uh, apparently just raped and treated so horribly. And they want to, they want to be good brothers and get their revenge. And, and, and then you read later on that chapter that, uh, it's Simeon and Levi who who go and, and 
once they trick all this all these people into uh, circumcision, which was a pretty smart idea, by the way, to, if you want to go and hurt them, like, make sure they're hurt before you get there. It's one way to incapacitate a crowd. Yeah, yeah. so, but it's, it's Simeon and Levi, uh, Dinah's brothers, right. that go and take their swords against the city and killed all the males. Right. I mean, so you think, wow, okay, as far as a brother goes, you know, you like to right. have a brother to defend his sister and all that sort right. of thing. But I don't know that out of the brothers, what we know of the brothers, you'd say, okay, yeah, let's have all the, uh, let's have all the, the priests then come from the line of Levi. Exactly. And, you know, and stuff like that. It just makes you really go, okay, what's going on here? Uh, just to look at all the, things that are wrong, but you'd go, based upon what we know of these families, we, we or these lines and these tribes, based upon the brothers, you go, certainly it'd be out of the line of Joseph. Right. I mean, imagine if the questionnaire for, you know, entering the, the job pool for being a pastor here at Park Hills was, how many villages have you destroyed with the sword? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you start to think it through from those terms, it's, these are not good people that you want to model your life after. And I think one of the things that I struggle with with this is often we, we treat, quote unquote, the heroes of the faith from the Old Testament, and we just gussy them up and make their stories look really good. When I think of the majority of the stories in the Bible actually show us this really dynamic personality of somebody who says, I want to be faithful like Levi, but I don't want to be violent like Levi. And we're supposed to stop and go, oh, how do I process this information as opposed to just gobbling it all up and saying, I'm going to go do this. One of the ways that I've taught students over the years is just because it's in the Bible doesn't make it biblical. And what I mean by that is it's in the Bible. It doesn't mean that you have to do it. Like I I think, you know, like if if I went in front of a whole conference and I said, Hey, everybody, you know, Abraham had a bunch of wives, go for it. There's people in the crowd that would go, no, use some logic. The Bible has other verses that say you should only marry one person. There's, you know, one man and one woman. That's the, the, the definition of marriage. And they go, that, that makes more sense. You need to read the whole text, but yet we won't do that with other parts of the text. And we'll go, no, it's, it's, it's in the Bible. It's biblical. And we don't step back and go, there's probably a bigger story that's being told this entire time all the way through. And so with Levi and Simeon doing this, you're like, okay, these are violent guys. So then it's no surprise that Simeon wants to maybe sell off a brother or kill a brother, right? And then Judah steps in and is like, well, let's maybe we back off a little bit, figure out how to do this a little differently. But then Judah shows himself to be pretty morally yeah. bankrupt. Yeah, he's, right? he's got issues. The very next story, he's like, well, I'm not going to give you my son now. I'll give it you know, to you later because you killed off my other two sons. And then she takes matters in her own hands and has a kid with them. And it's really weird and awkward. But then that's... The, the line, that's the line that leads to the Messiah. Yeah. You're going, really? Lord, you're going to use Judah? You could have used Joseph. <laughs> Correct. In the very next story, you've got Joseph saying no to Potiphar's wife. And you're like, that's a guy that I want to be like. Yeah. But yet, no. The, so I think when we're reading Genesis, one of the ways that I always like to think of it, and, and you know, we're out of it now as, as, as of our reading, but the, the fact is, read it carefully, read it closely, do this with the entire Old Testament and use your brain for a second and think about other passages in scripture and start to connect them and go, oh, this isn't what I'm aiming for. This is just a story about how messed up they were. And then be grateful of the fact that God redeems that. So whether we're talking about, you know, a guy that's taking matters into his own hands and ended up having multiple nations like Abraham, or we're talking about the doubt that they have that sells off a wife or, or, trick somebody into thinking about a wife or whatever. Uh, the, 
the idea that the brothers never quite lived up to what they could, we should step back and go, first, God, thank you so much for using this really messed up family. That's encouragement to me. Second, thank you for using a guy or a gal just as messed up as I am and help me to serve you well with everything I've got because I want to be like you. I want to be like you want me to be. So that's how I usually read Genesis. Is there anything you would throw out to people in that regard of like as you read through some of these books, like what you think or... Yeah, just the redeeming capacity. Um, you know, we know, we didn't read anywhere in Genesis that Joseph was a sinless person. So, right. so we know he had his issues too. And so for us to just use our minds and go, well, obviously, then Joseph, you know. But we'll see that as this theme, family theme goes. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's corruption. There's sin all the way through it. And, and yet God can redeem that. He can work through these people and... Pretty cool, also, just to see in in Genesis here and this the theophanies, these mm-hmm. uh, God sort of showing up or showing Himself uh, in the passages. You know, like you know, it's like one thing to have these passages where the Lord spoke to Abram, but then when boy, the Lord appeared to Abram. Mm-hmm. What a what a moment! What a and, and just <laughs> you cut. Uh, Jacob wrestling, mm-hmm. what is that? You know, come on. You know, these. Uh, you know, we have other moments. You know, whether it's Job, God in the whirlwind, or right, or the pillars uh, that that led the Israelites uh, in the cloud of or the fire by night. You know, right. and but or the burning bush. But what what a moment. You know, uh, wrestle with God for an evening. Yeah, that sounds like a <laughs> quite a quite a night. Uh, fascinating. Yeah, and the. The Bible is full of them. And yeah, like you said, we call them theophanies, these moments where you see God. Some people think it's, you know, the pre-incarnate Christ. So we would, you know, maybe call, there seems to be some kind of connection with the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord seems to be connected with him in some way. And then a lot of times when it says God showed himself or appeared, it seems to be some kind of connection to all of that as opposed to, you know, this image of of the father on the throne in Revelation 4, who yeah. seems completely untouchable and you can't even get close kind of thing. I don't, I don't know that he ever leaves that spot. Right. So there's this Jewish thing or uh, theology that's developing, you know, during the second temple period and a little bit after. They, they called it the second power of heaven, and they kind of had this idea that, God had multiple forms, but the one that showed himself to human beings was not a lesser form, but different than the one, you know, on the throne. And like when we get to Exodus, there's going to be a spot when we get to Mount Sinai where the elders of Israel are going to look up and they're going to see the under of, of God's thighs on the throne or basically his, you know, his legs on, on the throne. And he's so high up there that it just doesn't seem like they're seeing someone who can be approached or get close to. And so the Jews would point out, well, he talks to Moses in the burning bush. He talks to Abram here. He's wrestling with Jacob. That doesn't seem to be the same type of individual as this one who's sitting up on the throne. So there's somebody showing themselves to us who is God, not in a lesser form, still fully God, but maybe a smaller version, so to speak, at least for humans to fully comprehend. Or can handle. Yeah. And so then that becomes the sort of the setup for when Christ is on the scene, 
it makes a lot of sense to the disciples. Oh, this is just a new version of a theophany. They had no idea how in-depth that version of the theophany would be, right? Or the idea that Christ is going to do all that he did, dying on the cross, rising from the grave, all that kind of thing. But they're, they're building this case early on in the text. There is someone that's willing to talk to us who's, who's God in the flesh of some sort. And we're going to watch that break out over the, you know, the weeks and the months ahead. But we just wanted to kind of throw that idea out. And then, so notice the difference between God just saying something to somebody and then God appearing to somebody. Those are two totally different things. And I think it's important to notice. Neat stuff. What a, what a, a fun book to, to preach through and read through. Well, it's a challenging book to preach through. Yeah. And I, and I couldn't say that we preach through it. We, uh, uh, obviously, hitting it three Sundays didn't quite cover Genesis, but uh, no. left left a little gaps along the way. And 39 chapters in one Sunday. Well done. Yeah, well, you know, got skills. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.